Welcome to Private Club Radio, your weekly source for industry education, news and discussion. Broadcasting from Tampa, Florida, ladies and gentlemen, here is your host, Gabriel Aloisi. Oh, happy to be back with you here on Monday. Welcome to Private Club Radio. We're going to be chatting with a few gentlemen from the National Club Conference. This is part two of the NCA Conference Recap. If you missed part one, go back to last week's episode. That's episode 126 and check those out. And we're continuing with some wonderful gentlemen today. We're going to be speaking with Bill Walsh, the CEO of the Viceroy Group. We'll be talking about leadership development, how to put a team together, what makes a great team, and much more with him. We'll be speaking with Steve Graves of Created Golf Marketing. Steve will talk to us about their new technology that they're rolling out over at CGA. And we'll be speaking with Tom Lenz. Tom will be covering some legal issues happening in the private club industry that you'll want to pay attention to. He also sits on the board of the NCA. So we'll talk a little bit about that. It's going to be a great episode. I'm going to start off with my interview with Bill Wall, CEO of the Viceroy Hotel Group. And I enjoyed Bill's keynote immensely. Bill talked about prideology. So that's the first question I ask him about. What is prideology? What does that mean? And how can you use that at your club? Well, prideology really is about having a an ideology within a business, which is a, a sense of the definition of purpose. I find that a lot of businesses are very capable when it comes to talking about what they do. They're usually quite capable uh, when it comes to talking about how they do what they do, but very few businesses take the same amount of time and effort to articulate why they do what they do. And right. I see an emerging consumer who actually is looking for an emotional and an intellectual connection to the brands with whom they interact and not just a transactional connection. And for that reason, I think we need to have a business roadmap. It needs to be an ideology which is activated in every business that allows colleagues, customers, all stakeholders to connect to the purpose of the organization. And then in the pursuit of profit, which we are here to do, um, there there are three Ps. There is the purpose of an organization, which is driven by the pride of those involved within it, which ultimately leads to profit. What I see happen typically is people bypass the first two Ps, head for the third one. (laughs) We're setting up a business, we're running a business purely to make profit. We don't know why we do what we do. um, And it's becoming harder to survive with that approach. Absolutely. One thing that struck me during your presentation, you spoke about um, the vocabulary of an organization really being linked to their mission. Why is that so important, Bill? Because I think you want to know that um, people get it and and it leads to um, authenticity in interaction with the customer, be that a member, be that um, a hotel guest in, in, in my perspective. And I think that the sophistication of consumers today is at a point where they're not looking for the mantra to be repeated to them. It's not about chanting the organization of the myth in, in unison. <laughs> sure. But what they are looking for is commonality in approach. They're looking for a commitment in their connection to a brand, to a, to a product, whereby the purpose is expressed in the use of vocabulary. That means it's real, it's thoughtful, uh, and it has integrity. Uh, so I, I just find that um, certainly our hotel guests, when we use the words of the Viceroy ideology, when we talk about um, 
being authentic, celebrating individuality, being courageous, being unabashed provocateurs, those words start to appear in the purpose of the activities that are undertaken throughout the organization, uh, which keeps us connected into why we're here to serve our guests. So it's not just a bland mission statement. It's it's something that really people, it's a passion that they can articulate. Yeah, I mean, the the... the Viceroy's Prideology is our mission statement and it's it's 22 lines and every one of those lines is a commitment um, and it's also a challenge to ourselves. Typically, mission statements are written by an ad agency. Right. And the ad agency <laughs> doesn't even work sure. in the environment that, that it's going to have to be activated um, and senior leadership in a company go, oh my God, that's a catchy phrase. It's going to look great on the website. We have done our job. Coming up with a mission statement, coming up with an ideology is not doing the job. It is merely the first step, which is followed then by the activation of ideology, the activation of the mission, mm-hmm. um, which which makes it real. I love that. Uh, one other thing you mentioned in your presentation is is really the... The, the goal of the, an organization should be to embrace the impossible. Can you articulate on that a little bit for us? Yeah, I, I think um, one way that I put it is that y- you burn the same number of calories um, talking yourself into success as talking yourself out of success. <laughs> one of my favorite moments um, in, in my career, uh, when I was in Dubai with the Jumeirah Group, um, Back in 2003, we, we put Tiger Woods on the helipad of Burj Al Arab, hitting golf balls into the sea, and the image wow. went around the world in 24 hours. And I think it was because it was Dubai, the vibrancy of the destination and the positivity and optimism of getting things done that, that led to that happening. Because in most other parts of the world, if you have an idea like that, you talk yourself out of it. Sure. Well, why would he do it? I won't be able to contact him. He's going to want X million dollars. Um, <laughs> But if you actually set out to say, I, I can embrace the impossible, sure, if somebody says no, they say no. Yeah. Um, but put the efforts into talking yourself into success, not talking yourself out of success, and don't hide behind self-made excuses. And I think that requires a culture in an organization that celebrates intent of an action as vigorously as it celebrates the perhaps success of that action. Read Richard Branson's autobiography. Richard comes across as being as proud, if not prouder, of the business failures as his business successes. Because each failure was intended to be brilliant. It was done for the right reason. He understood the why of why he was doing it. And even though the actual execution didn't work according to plan, there were learnings that made the next effort even better. So I would say to every business leader out there, every general manager, every chief operating officer, chief executive officer, you know, create a culture in your organization where people are willing to give it a go. And they'll only give it a go if they know that should it not work, you will have their backs as publicly and as vigorously as if it did work. Um, and then nothing becomes impossible. That's, a, that's so important for a leader. Last thing I want to touch on, Bill, is, is you've got a policy that you never say no as a first response. Can you touch on that a little bit? Yeah, I, I've, um, in hospitality, in a, in a full-time career in hospitality, heard the line, we never say no to our guests, used in so many different circumstances. And I think it's unreal, because there will be uh, circumstances where you have to say no. Sure. A, a guest request or a member request is just simply so outrageous or so <laughs> undeliverable that, that you've right. got to get to know. I think, however, the pendulum has swung too far towards no being a first response, uh, because we've over 
standardize the processes through which we run businesses. So therefore, if it's not in the manual, if there isn't a standard operating procedure documented for something that needs to be done, it can't be done, so the word no is delivered. Um, I believe that we should never say no as a first response. <coughs> Excuse me. We should challenge ourselves as an organization to try to deliver what it is, whether it's a customer or a colleague is asking us to deliver. And then if we get to a point where we realize it's undeliverable, do two things. One, be honest enough to go back and say, I'm sorry, I cannot do what you asked of me. And two, offer an alternative. That's fantastic. Bill, I appreciate your time. And again, Thank thanks you. so much for the presentation you gave here at NCA. Thank you very much. Man, that was absolutely loaded, wasn't it? Just great stuff from Bill Walsh there. Unbelievable. Next up, we've got Steve Graves of Creative Golf Marketing. Here's my interview with Steve. How are you enjoying the conference so far? Oh, it's fantastic. This is a great setting. You know, a lot of really talented individuals here. Yeah, it's beautiful. The Biltmore here downtown in Los Angeles. I've been to Los Angeles five times, never been downtown. So. <laughs> it's fantastic. It's an absolutely gorgeous hotel. Yeah, it really is. You got, it kind of looks like the Breakers to me, where you got all these old decorations. It, it, and the, you know, it, does, the it does have a similarity to that, yeah, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, I want to talk to you about some of the new things you're doing at Creative Golf Marketing, including um, your you're actually purchasing a new company. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, we're so excited. Uh, we have been talking to a company for a long time, uh, CTU Advisors, uh, Tom Coburn, his sister, Heather Paradis, uh, and they've been working on a software that's very, very exciting with regard to, the, they call it the customer uh, engagement level. Uh, and retention has become so large you know, in the industry right now, Gabe. Uh, and, and our clients keep asking us, you know, how do we, in fact, uh, keep our attrition rates, you know, down. And so they've got a software that interfaces with the point-of-sale system, uh, you know, with uh, the tea time system, et cetera, uh, that tells the club and, and gives a, a number, you know, so to speak. And as we chatted, you know, before, uh, I'll use the Aloises, it, <laughs> it, it identifies a number between 1 and 100. Uh, and uh, so if the Aloises are an, are an 87, it, it, at most clubs, you, you are somewhat ignored, uh, you, you are taken for granted. Right. They're doing fine. Don't have to worry about those guys. Using the club all the time. You know, we don't need to pay any attention. And, and so you, you tend to see these spending reports that show these at-risk members. Mm-hmm. Well, the brilliance of this software uh, that they have is all of a sudden, on a, on a monthly basis, it's going to show how many rounds of golf you've been playing and how many times you guys have been coming out to have lunch and how many, how many guests that you've been bringing, et cetera. Well, let's say that all of a sudden there's some distractions, you know, kind of my new keywords. <laughs> sure that I have, Gabe. And, it happens uh, in our society all the time. <laughs> it does. You know, and so because of your children, because of things that are going on, because your wife is doing certain things, uh, you find yourself not using the club quite as much. So you go. F- so the software identifies that your customer engagement level from, went from an 87 to a 75. Right. Well, you're still using the club a lot. Sure. Uh, but now the membership director starts to see this movement uh, with regard to the Aloises and can pay attention for it to it before you become a 52, which is essentially saying, we found, some, you know, we bought a boat. And so now we're going out and we're using the boat on the weekends and we're not coming to the club, you know, as much. Gives them the ability to, to re-engage with you. It's quantifiable. Mm-hmm. Uh, we as a marketing company come up with the marketing strategies to, you know, send an email to you, you know, to, to send a letter to you, to invite you to come out to the club. Here, here's a free cocktail. Here's, yeah. here's a free round of golf. Yeah. Uh, and then they can quantifiably watch to see if you start to work your way back up towards the 87, whether you solidify yourself. Uh, it's particularly powerful with regard to new members. Mm. 
uh, because as you're well aware, the first couple of years of membership at a club is when they're most vulnerable. That's they're, huge, yeah. Yeah, they're they're assimilating to the club. They're finding out whether they're fitting in well, you know, or not, and so they're able to. Uh, immediately identify that consumer with a number mm-hmm. if, if the member starts out as an 84 they're sitting there thinking gosh you know they're really using the club a lot but right. if they start out right away to 37 they know they need to up their game mm-hmm. and make sure that the spouse is being con- mrs aloisi has contacted and said you know we've got yoga classes and boy you, you know your kids would really enjoy the junior tennis program and junior golf program right because yeah, so uh, often people just don't know about all the different things that are going on at club. exactly and when you kind of take it for granted when you're managing i would think or doing the uh, event planning that everybody knows is everything exactly you know there's i think the last time we spoke we even i used this phrase uh, in the old days there was blue blood mm-hmm. now there's new blood <laughs> that's good you're, you're seeing so many people gabe who come into a club and they've never been in the club environment right. before they're, sure they're intimidated right uh you know myself my, my parents were members of a club so mm-hmm. i was always comfortable with a club mm-hmm. uh, nothing was ever intimidating sure. you know to me yeah but the the new consumers coming in and, and they're not that familiar with how things work. Yeah. Uh, they're a little embarrassed to ask questions, etc. Mm-hmm. And so this software is designed to find out and kind of you know have this blinking light that says you know the Aloises seem to be a little bit overwhelmed. Yeah. They're, they're not coming out and using the club as much as a new member would be in, anticipated. Uh, and instead of just losing you and and having you say to us we didn't use the club enough, the club can say to the membership director, to the membership committee, to the general manager, what what did you do to, in fact, try to raise the usage patterns right. that are quantifiable by the Aloises? And Sometimes it just doesn't work out. Sometimes sure. the boat is more important than the membership. <laughs> you know, to it's, it's probably very useful in terms of finding out what works, too. So if it's, you know, whether it's maybe a personal phone call that worked or the email or the type of event that you're inviting them to, you can actually kind of start to decide and, and make choices based on what's worked in the past. You know, what a great observation. It's, it's like social media, you know, when we put together strategies like you guys do. Uh, you, you know, you put together certain uh, visuals. Sure. And some, you know, if you, some if resonate you, if, and some don't. If you put puppies, you know, people right. click on the puppies. <laughs> you know, if you put, you know, other negative things, they don't. As you point out so well, we'll be able to now quantify, you know, that the letter that went out was very effective. Right. You know, the, the come out and bring a guest was effective. And so we can monitor and, and modify those things uh, as we're seeing, you know, that actual quantifiable number. Yeah. So that's a great observation. It's huge to be able to identify the, the real at-risk members and then be able to save them from from resigning it really is uh, and you know many the, the tragedy of many membership director relationships is they're compensated and talked to about how many new members did you get right. you know for the club mm-hmm. uh, this will help them to in fact for example if they just saw that the Aloise it's almost a game if the Aloises were kind of middle ground members and they had they were a 50 you and that's probably pretty accurate actually yeah. you see. <laughs> Your 50s. <laughs> they can almost play the game of encouraging you to come out and use the club right. and come out and say, you know what, the Aloises are a 58. And you know what a 58 means? You spent more money. Sure. You were utilizing the club that much more. Uh, and so you're able to use this as a, as a way to, instead of inadvertently at the end, say, oh, rats, I, we should have picked up on that. Right. You know, you're able to recognize it on a monthly basis. That'd be a great opportunity to bonus people or have their um, pay structured by actual retention numbers, right? Or, or how that score is being elevated. That could be a cool way to actually reward your membership director. Well, I appreciate you bringing that point up. We're actually going to contemplate putting in a reward, you know, no different than Marriott rewards, yeah. and, you know, in the, the casino industry, et cetera. Uh, 
of course, I mean, gosh, Jonas, you know, wonderful company, use has has many of these things, you know, already themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but we're also going to use it to thank. You know, if the Aloises are in '93, yeah. you're going to get that letter that says thank you for your consistent, you know, usage of the club. Here's a bottle of wine. We'd That's like nice. To thank you very much. Yeah. The, the the higher users are commonly ignored. Right. And so often, like, it's again a very reactionary uh, world that we live in, right? In any business, not just the private club industry, but but particularly in the private club industry, it yeah. becomes very reactionary. I love that proactive approach, like rewarding that behavior. If you come to the club now uh, X amount of times, you know, here's a free bottle of wine. That's, that's well, we think this will be a, you know, for the, for the membership director, for the membership committee, for the social, you know, committee, that, you know, again, these will all be quantifiable numbers. I'm, I'm an overuser of certain phrases, but, yeah. you know, where, where there's this visual that they can look at it as opposed to just looking at a spending report. Right. <laughs> Some boring spreadsheet. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. That, uh, that everybody's kind of eyes glaze over, you know, right. with, it, with regard to, you know, what's going on. Uh, and now you can have an event, and as you're seeing the numbers move up or down, you know whether that event was successful. Yeah, right. So we're 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 very excited about it, and That's this fantastic. is a new organization that uh, we've been talking to for a long time, and we made a decision to uh, get you know work together. And this software will integrate with some of the existing software that clubs are already using. Yes, uh, it it uh, we have a number of co- of, uh, of software companies that we already have an interface to. Uh, and then any other software companies that we, we do not have it with it, uh, there'll be a kind of a beta testing. It takes about five months, you know, to work through that. Uh, and then we'll have the capability for all the software companies in the United States. Wow, that's fantastic. When do you plan on rolling this new product out? And what are you going to, do you have a name for it yet? Uh, you know, we, uh, the acquisition has occurred. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we'll be rolling the product out in the next 30 days. Mm-hmm. Uh, and right now, you know, it's just customer engagement level, you know, to it with regard, sure. we, and with regard to it. We haven't, uh, I guess, <laughs> been reactive. <laughs> We're not proactive enough yet, okay. you know, to, to put a name to it other than it being, you know, another uh, product that Creative Golf Marketing is offering to the industry. Very cool. Because as you pointed out so well, we, we keep looking at acquiring members, and we spend, everybody's spending a lot of money on acquiring members. Right. And they're not doing a lot, you know, of <laughs> keeping their members. Yeah. Yeah. Like I told you before, I'd love to see data, like hard data on what is the cost of retaining a member versus trying to find a new member? And it's got to be minimum 10x, but I'd love to see it because it could be, who knows? It's I'm agreeing with you. Yeah. I, not being that statistical guru to it, uh, I'm not sure how you quantify yeah. exactly how it is, but I think your 10x is probably pretty close. This might be a case for uh, club benchmarking to get it on. It could be. Line. I mean, Ray, <laughs> you know, as a matter of fact, Ray would probably, Ray and Russ would probably be the perfect individuals yeah. that could probably give you a much better answer sure. than I. But there's no question yeah. uh, that it's it's an area that's being ignored. And you know, I hate to say it again, but because membership directors, very talented professionals, but they typically have been asked to focus on growth, right? Uh, and particularly if their income is based upon growth uh, as they're asked to talk about retention they kind of push back right. a little bit it's just, because it's not as beneficial to them yeah exactly so i'd love to see you may you're flipping the game here it sounds like we that's hope pretty so. cool you know we hope that yeah. that uh, that the membership reten- the membership retention side helps membership directors and their profession even feel that much more needed and powerful and beneficial because of the quantifiable aspect of the, of the retention aspect. That's fantastic. If folks want to reach out and learn a little bit more about this new program you're rolling out, how do they do it, Steve? Well, they would contact us uh, at Creative Golf Marketing. It's uh, uh, we got an 800 number of 1-800-526-8794 or Creative Golf Marketing, of course, online, uh, and they can email us You know, at that. We'd, we'd love to talk to clubs about assisting them. Fantastic. Well, thanks for joining me and talking a little about this new program. As always, Gabe, it's an enormous pleasure. Thank you. 
Well, next guest here at the NCA conference is Thomas Lenz. He's a partner at Atkinson Andelson, Loya, Rude, and Romo. He also sits on the board of the National Club Association, and he's the chair of their government relations committee. Thomas, welcome to the show. Thank you, Gabe. Pleasure to be here. Yeah. I want to talk about some of the uh, issues that are going on around the country in terms of private clubs and some of the, the main ones that people should be focusing on. Well, uh, things that uh, I'm dealing with and things that uh, we talk about when uh, dealing with clubs often involve uh, a combination of things. Uh, A real hot topic right now is misclassification, uh, considering someone to be an independent contractor when they truly are an employee. What are some of the the ways that, that those lines are blurring and how are you going about protecting clubs? Well, in in many instances, uh, you will have um, someone who works exclusively uh, for one one supplier of work, let's let's call it that, um, rather than employer. And if someone is dependent exclusively on that one, let's call it a club, um, and uh, they really don't have time to work anywhere else, they don't provide their own equipment, uh, supplies, and uh, they are acting at the direction of um, someone at the club rather than perhaps um, you know, making decisions for themselves mm-hmm. about uh, how they're going to um, do work, when they're going to do it, uh, bringing their own equipment, scheduling themselves. Um, yeah, th- that's, th- those are all signs uh, that someone might be an employee rather than an independent contractor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I imagine uh, this often occurs with, with the caddies at clubs. Caddies, pros, um, it could also involve, say, a massage therapist. Uh, so it, it can arise in uh, different contexts, definitely. Mm-hmm. So being in Los Angeles and we're in the kind of midst of the Me Too movement, I know sexual harassment issues are another big one that's facing uh, the industry and really the country. Yes, sexual harassment is a really hot topic. And given that so many issues have arisen in high-profile uh, places like media and the entertainment industry, uh, you can expect that uh, they will permeate other workplaces. And yeah, we certainly do run into that in the club industry. Um, and I, I think to some extent, because the anti-discrimination laws envelop harassment, uh, there can be a question of whether or not a club is exempt. And this issue might go to you know whether you have truly um, done what you need to do to maintain private club status. So that is a multi-factor analysis uh, in you know, most every case. But I, I think clubs need to be looking at uh, their employee issues regardless. They need to be looking at uh, their member relations uh, and how members interact with uh, their employees regardless. Yeah. So what are some of the things that people should be looking out for or should be making sure that they're doing to be compliant? I think it's important to have good policies in place and to live by the policies that you set. One of the things that I'm always concerned about when I am uh, advising or representing an employer is do you uh, practice what you preach? You may have the best policies in the world, but do you follow them? So I I think draft good legally compliant policies, uh, make sure that they are achievable in terms of what you do on a day-to-day basis. And I think you want to train your uh, your management staff to do the right thing because you don't want people at the top believing that you're doing 
the right thing, but uh, at lower levels of management, not uh, being in line, not being in sync. So uh, one of the things I do in addition to uh, advising clubs on policies and practices is to conduct training to make sure that people understand on a day-to-day basis with real-life situations how the rules apply. That's live training that you actually go into the club and conduct? Yes. Wow. Yeah, when I was first down to college, a few of my first jobs, I was I was I had to watch a series of videos or, or whatnot on sexual harassment uh, and uh, things like that inside, in, inside the workplace. Are you seeing that clubs are utilizing that sort of training as well? I, I think that yes, yeah, some are, and I, I think like many workplaces generally, some are opting for what might be a more convenient model using mm-hmm. online formats. Mm-hmm. But honestly, you know, think about when you've received a traffic ticket and you go to traffic school, how much are you really paying attention to what's going on? I I think um, the live in-person training with an interactive element Mm -hmm. is really important. Nice, nice. Um, Well, staying on the issue of compliance, let's talk about wage compliance and and some of the issues that are happening around that. The wage and hour laws can vary significantly from one state to another. So uh, many times we talk about federal law It's also important to be mindful that state laws uh, may impose a higher bar. Here in California, we are accustomed to the state setting a much higher bar than the federal level. Um, At the federal level, we may still see change on overtime exemptions, who you consider to be um, uh, entitled to um, a salaried pay with no overtime for um, hours, let's say, over 40 in a week. you, you need to be mindful of two standards, and you need to keep good records of uh, what uh, what you're doing and why. So um, that record-keeping duty uh, is frequently a target here in California because employers don't necessarily record all the data that they should on rates of pay and deductions. Uh, even the name and address of the employer in California can be a legal issue with liability tied to it if it's not on a pay stub. So uh, you need to be mindful of the, the rules, the landscape in which you are doing business because uh, many times there are lawyers looking simply for the penalties that can be derived from hmm. those sorts of violations over and above an actual failure to pay. Right. Uh, and uh, depending on your state, it may vary, but in California, many times it is those penalties, uh, $100 per occurrence or whatever it might be, that exceed the value of the unpaid wages. Oh um, so it is really a, a fertile ground for litigation. Wow, that's a scary thought. I know this time last year, the NCA was sort of going to bat for the, on behalf of the private club industry for the overtime exemption and, and lifting the, the rates. For those that weren't paying attention back then, can you kind of recap what happened? Uh, yes. Uh, the Obama administration, uh, through the Department of Labor, sought to increase the uh, minimum threshold salary uh, for someone to be exempt from overtime pay. In other words, if you don't reach that salary in your compensation, you would still be entitled to overtime for hours over 40 in a week. That number that the Obama administration proposed was 47476 Many employers boosted their minimum salaries for employees to that number or higher uh, because they wanted to maintain that position that they didn't have to pay overtime. Right. Well, 
at the very last minute before those rules were going to take effect, a federal court enjoined the rules, stopped them from, from happening. Uh, so many employers wondered, gee, I, I'm now paying 47, 476. <laughs> uh, do I need to continue to do that? And it really became more of a morale issue sure. in terms of, you know, are you going to dock somebody because those rules aren't in effect? And, what is the you know, threshold now? Um, it's, uh, it's, it's less, than, I, I don't remember the exact number, uh, but uh, as we sit here today, but. Is it 38 or something like that? Uh, no, it's in the 20s. It's in the 20s, wow, yeah. okay. Yeah, but in California, under state law, it's in the 40s. Got it. So, so it's, it's a state-dependent issue as well. And, and uh, we, we had the ironic situation of the California uh, salary, the minimum threshold number, being lower than what the federal number would have been. So it, it would have been a rare instance where the feds exceeded California. Hmm. But uh, the, uh, the word on the street is that the Department of Labor in the current administration under President Trump is looking at boosting that minimum salary. Yeah. Uh, so, um, and my guess is it's probably going to be somewhere in the 30s um, to uh, That seems reasonable, like 47 or 8 or whatever it was. That seemed pretty high to me. <laughs> yeah, and the cost of living can vary from one part right, of the country yeah, to another. Totally. And um, it, it's important to be mindful that this overtime exemption uh, test, uh, which, again, varies from state to state in addition to under federal law, you have a salary component uh, that minimum threshold salary plus a duties component. So, yeah, that'll look to whether you are doing executive, professional, administrative, or other types of duties. Mm -hmm. um, so it's conceivable that you might satisfy an exemption test under federal law, but not under state law. Wow. So you might still be entitled to overtime. <laughs> oh and it, uh, it gets really confusing. And, uh, you know, I you know, like to say, much to the chagrin of employers, job security for lawyers. Sure. Sure. Well, I assume that, that you can help clubs and around the country with these types of things. I know you're in Pasadena, California, but you work with clubs everywhere, don't you? Uh, I work with clubs uh, all over, and uh, I am licensed in uh, seven jurisdictions. Mm -hmm. And in addition to the West Coast, I, I do some work on the East Coast. And uh, really, you know, it's, um, you know, it's fertile ground and uh, lots and lots of issues. I like to focus on being preventative, being smart and strategic, so that you can avoid litigation. Right. I mean, when when uh, you know, litigation happens, you need to be able to defend it, and we do sure. that. But I, I think being smart, being proactive, you're way ahead of the game. Better to spend a little money up front and a little more time up front than to have to worry about the, the big cost of that later on. Definitely. And I, I think, you know, being involved with NCA and being able to get the message out to clubs so that they know what issues are on the horizon and, and they can make choices for themselves. What's a good fit for my club and uh, it, what, what level of risk am I willing to take right. uh, in light of these issues? Mm -hmm. I, I think that's a really valuable service to be able to provide that information and I'm glad to be a part of it. Thomas, if people want to find out more, have you come in for one of your trainings uh, or just reach out and get a little help, how do they do that? Well, uh, I can be reached uh, via email at tlenz at aalrr.com. Uh, you can find more information on me uh, as well as my firm at our uh, website. That's www.aalrr.com. Uh, my office number is 626-583-8600. I'm also on LinkedIn and Twitter, uh, TAL Labor Law. So, yeah. Check me out. Give <laughs> me your social security number, and I think I can uh, <laughs> open uh, up a few credit cards. <laughs> I'll, I'll decline. <laughs> Thomas, thanks so much, man. Thank you. 
Well, I love an episode like that where we cover so much ground. That's what's great about this show. So many experts that come on here, give us their time. We talked about leadership. We talked about marketing. We talked about law and legal issues. Just a wealth of information. If you love this episode as much as I did, go ahead and share it with one of your colleagues in the industry. That's what helps this show grow. If we help the show grow together, we will help the industry grow. That's the goal of Private Club Radio. I hope to catch you back here next week. We'll cover another edition of the National Club Conference recap. Have a wonderful week. Make it productive. Until next time, here's to your membership success. Private Club Radio is brought to you by Concert Golf Partners, helping to preserve and enhance private golf and country clubs. Concert Golf has the capital, expertise and private club hospitality experience to help upscale private clubs achieving long-term success and membership growth. For 25 years, Concert Golf has allowed private club members to focus on simply enjoying their club. Visit ConcertGolfPartners.com to learn more about the recapitalization process.